Welcome to Razor Branding Podcast with Jackie Russo. To learn more about how to improve your brand, visit brandrusso.com. Hi, this is Jackie Russo, and I am honored, thrilled, and privileged to announce that our guest today is Justin Sylvester. For those of you that haven't had the opportunity to see him on E! Daily Pop, you might have seen him on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, or you could have seen him on Beverly Hills Nannies, or you could have seen him wandering the halls of Turling's Catholic High School just a few short years ago. Uh, Welcome to the show, Justin Sylvester. This intro is something else. I'm kind of loving this this intro. I literally, honestly, every like radio station, every podcast, even my own TV show, the intro is so anxiety inducing because it's like live in three, four, and then there's like all kinds of shit. And then this is like, Razor Brandy. And I'm like, I'm We're here, we're on, we're live. You know, here's the thing. When you're not doing it for a real TV station and you're just doing it from your office with your husband as your producer, you can kind of do whatever you want. Anytime you want, any day you want, with any guest you want. It's very freeing. No, it's it's crazy because I swear to you, like when I started Just a Sip, my podcast, to me, it's the most relaxed thing in the world because it's a skeleton crew. I roll with four people. Um, Everyone's invited to bring whoever they want, but it's an intimate conversation and it's small and it's a the smallest little, you know, startups and 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 concoctions are the best, I find. I would agree. So let's talk a little bit about your podcast. Was that kind of already always planned, or did that come out of the pandemic and you needing to fill some time in your living room? No, I actually had the podcast for two years. But so the podcast was going for a year and a half as a YouTube talk show. Um, And I begged and begged to kind of switch it over to a podcast because we had never done a podcast before as a company, as a network. And I originally started the idea as a podcast and they wanted it as a YouTube show, YouTube show. And I I swore this will work as a podcast. And about eight months, six months ago, they were like, all right, we're ready to do it as a podcast. So it's been going since October, November, but I've been trying to get them to do this as a podcast for almost a year and a half. And now they realize, oh, Justin was right. We should have listened to him in the first place. We should have listened to the guy who came up with the idea. He knew what he was talking about. And now it's almost at a million downloads and it's popping and people are, we get guest requests for the podcast. Um, so it's pretty good. It's, it's actually really interesting. Like what's come out of this whole podcast. That is awesome. It's so good to see your face. It's good to see you too. I should be at Tsunami right now, ordering some of my favorite rolls. You should, it should be Tuesday nights. It should be, (laughs) it should be for sure. So talk to me a little bit about what your life transition was like in March as everything started to shut down and you had to start doing the show from your living room. I mean, how weird does that get? You know, it was weird because, you know, first off, my show's live every day and it is, you know, based on personality and energy. Like I feed off my co-host and that's how we've been for three years. So when the pandemic hit in March, I was a afraid to even do the show from my house because we didn't know what COVID was going to even look like, you know, and when you have that camera equipment in your home, they have to come and they have to service it and they have to figure it out. And if something goes wrong, a random guy has to come in and I got really afraid. And I said, no, after two and a half years of being on the show, I was like, I don't think I can do it from my home. Um, I'm already an introvert. And I spend a lot of time in my home. I love my home, but it's super small. I like small homes. I had this tiny little house in West Hollywood. And I just didn't want that intruding my space because I didn't know what my sanity was going to be like. I didn't know how COVID and the, pain, the lockdown was going to you know, really affect me. Um, and it was one of the hardest decisions of my life. But I'm so happy I made that decision. And now I'm shooting my show from the studio. I finally went back in by myself. Um, and as hard as it was to walk away, 
from the show, it was probably one of the best decisions that I had made. Honestly. Yeah. I mean, you've got to do what feels right for you and putting yourself in a position where you're not going to be comfortable. You're not going to be at your best. No, I wasn't going to be myself. I wasn't going to be at my best. And I had been on the show since the conception of it. So I was one of the original hosts. Um, I'm the longest running host on the show because my other sidekick has been on maternity leave three times. Um, so I count her time down and, you know, it was like the first time, like, it's like watching your kid go in someone else's car. Weirdly, oddly enough, is the only way I can describe it. Like the first time you let your baby go with someone else to soccer practice. And it just, I knew it was best for me. I hated it for the audience. I hated it for everybody else. I couldn't actually tell people what was going on because I didn't really know what was going on. I didn't know if they were gonna have me back on the show. I didn't know what the hell was happening. Um, but it's just nice to be back and to connect with everybody and to you know give people a little bit of relief at you know 9.30 every day because God, if we turn on the news, it's so terrible. There's nothing it's on TV. Yeah. Yeah. And it's sad. It's all sad news. Horrific news. Like, I'm just, I can't wait for this whole thing to be done and we can get back to some sense of normalcy. Right. Right. Like, I just want to think about all the families. I think you could. I think you could do a whole show on those celebrity arrests. But nobody's going to No one's going anywhere. Everyone's in their damn houses. I worry about drug dealers. How are they making deals right now? If nobody's standing around on street corners, slipping into back alleys, I mean, is their business as impacted as mine? Booming, booming, Jackie. Really? Really? Because guess, guess what? They're now starting, they're, they're getting more business because the delivery, and also for the ones who didn't deliver, everybody knows one who does deliver. I live in California. So I can get my no. pot on the, you know, on, next to the Walgreens at, at the Mad Men. But now the Mad Men are delivering. But what Some about the hard drug guys? Independent like contractors. the street corner guys. Uh -huh. Independent All right, so you, the corner boys are still working is what you're telling me. Still delivering. And by the way, is this Excellent. 18 over? Is this an 18 over podcast? It's going to have to be. We're going to have to label this one with a little E explicit material for sure. Right. They're working. Trust and believe right. they are working. All right. I mean, I know my son's delivering for DoorDash now, so maybe everybody's taking a little side job, a little side hustle. <laughs> it probably is. They probably are. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? I can only. So did you come up with the name of your podcast, Just the Tip, or did somebody else? Because I think that's genius. It was actually a fight to the finish. Um, when I came up with, yes, when I came up with the podcast of Just a Sip, I, my boss at the time was like this, you know, conservative, older gent. And when I pitched the idea to him, I'm like, oh, Just a Sip, it's going to be fun. And, da, da, da. and, you know, I honestly had just a tip in my head and I was going to change it to Just a Sip because obviously I'm on NBC and I wanted it. I wanted to make it a place where you can come, have a cocktail, loosen up a little bit. By the second or third cocktail, everybody starts finding out all the juice about everything. And we just have a sip together. And my boss was like, no, you cannot do that. This is too phallic, like, oh my God. So we shot the pilot. I shot three celebrities in one day um, at this DJ's house. You know, have you ever heard of the DJ Zed? Yeah. So Zed let us use his sound room um, because I was living at the house at the time. And we shot it there and we had three celebrities and I had them all say just as it. Like I made everybody say it and I made everyone, I introduced everybody to just a sip and blah, blah, blah. And I made them say how awesome the name was and how great it was. So by the time he got the rough cuts, that was it. It was just a sip. I had made t-shirts, I had mugs. So I kind of forced the name onto them. I love that. <laughs> so how many yeah. guests, how many guests have you had now? And what juicy dirt do you feel like they, after a few sips, have uh, shared with you that maybe they hadn't taken public before? Like what's your favorite story you've heard? You know, there's so many, like there's so many. I've been doing this podcast for a year and a half 
and we have a weekly guest. So God, I mean, over a hundred, it must be, I mean, we had to have had like over a hundred. The thing is, and the reason why Just a Sip even became a thing was because I was on Daily Pop and what happens in Los Angeles is you'll have a publicist who will come in with a celebrity and the publicist will tell my booker who books the talent the restrictions, like you can't talk about her ex-husband, don't talk about her kids, and please don't bring up the holidays. And you're like, okay, like whatever. And then what's you left? get to, what's left. So you get into interview with somebody and you're talking about, you know, oh, the new movie, and oh my God, it's so great. I'm working with Jennifer Lopez and she's amazing. And you know, the things that they regurgitate. And you can see this glimmer in their faces, you know, you can see this glimmer in their faces that they want to talk about something deeper. But what happens in Hollywood is sometimes the publicists won't let you go there because they don't want to have to fix the issue later on. So the celebrity doesn't stop you. The celebrity doesn't say, oh, I don't want to talk about this. It's the publicist who doesn't want to have to do it because what happens is if we only have a five minute interview and you start talking about your ex-husband, they're gonna take the clickbait, they're gonna take the most juiciest thing and put it in an article. You don't have time on a five minute interview to explain really what's going on. So really what I wanted was an after show type situation where celebrities can sit down and talk about their divorces or what happened before they went to jail, like in detail with the promise that we'll let you get your whole story out. So. Just a sip actually became more than a sip. It became the whole pour. And that's why people come on and talk about, we just had Angelica Ross who is on Pose and 1984 American Horror Story come on and talk about her experience being a sex worker before she became a Hollywood actress. You know, I've had um, Evelyn Lozado talk about being a teen mom and what that meant to her, you know, before being on Basketball Wives. Um, Megan Trainer coming in and talking about what it meant to her to be married and how her parents, you know, marriage, you know, really shaped hers. Um, we've just had so many unbelievable people. Robin Gibbons talking about, you know, the of domestic abuse that she felt at the hands of Mike Tyson and how the world vilified her, even though she was the one who got abused. Um, there's just been so many unbelievable conversations that like you can't even believe that people who have had the resources and the names like people magazine's been around forever and they haven't gotten these stories because people don't trust that they would print the whole thing so if you go back and you look at it you know we talk about every single thing and everyone has a story that's the crazy part everybody actually has a story that they want to tell they're just so afraid to tell it but don't you think that now with interviews and podcasts and YouTube and the access we have to video and information, all of a sudden people are freer to share their story in its entirety because like you said, it won't get edited. And now we're starting to really see the behind the scenes truth, hashtag free Britney. And so it's really become an opportunity for people to tell their whole story. 100%. But I also think social media has really changed the game of media because if a celebrity gets accused of something or there's something out on the internet, they don't have to go on a morning show or go in a magazine or wait for, you know, in touch to be printed on Thursday to tell their side of the story. They can just press record and it's right in front of your faces in less than 15 seconds. Um, so that's really changed the game. But I don't think, I think right now, because everyone is podcasting, because everybody's so freely doing these digital shows, it's now starting to be about, all right, what personality do I mix with in that world? And what new, like, what's a new that I can have? Like, have you seen this show called Hot Takes on YouTube? Yes. That guy <laughs> has a great idea. Like, that's the idea. Like, it's a digital show. It ain't nothing but what we're doing right here. But he added hot sauce and wings. Like, that's the catch. So you have to have a catch now before getting into this arena. Don't you also find though, with all of these shows that you're really starting to see who has an actual personality and who just has really good writers to help them through their lives? Oh my God. I would hate 
to be a nighttime show host right now. I would hate to be a nighttime show host. I would hate to be on a show that was only me. I would hate to not have someone to banter with because you honestly realize like the writers are still there. The writers are still there. They're still in the, in the, in the, in the curtains, but without editing, without an audience, without that energy behind you, it's a whole different ballgame. It's an entire, I, my hat, hats that off to Trevor Noah, hats off to Jimmy Fallon, although I think he's struggling at this moment. Hats off to Jimmy Kimmel. You had to try to get in there. I just think those boom moments are gone because that audience is gone and they're still trying to do it and they're still executing it somehow. And I got to give it to them. I would not be able to do that. But even look at what SNL tried to do. It just isn't the same. And it's less than what it was when everybody could be in a room together feeding off each other's energy. 100% and that, that, that's the issue. It changes because you need that. You know, you need that audience. I was, it was a blessing and a curse that he was like, you're not getting an audience. I was like, damn, I would really love an audience. It would make a, a world of a difference. But because we didn't have that audience, we never really relied on that energy. We had to make the energy ourselves. So I think the next step into this quarantine is getting the three of us back into a studio together, which seems like it's gonna hopefully happen. I've seen other shows do it in New York City and it looks great. And I know they're doing it over at Access Hollywood. So I have a feeling that's like under their sleeve somewhere. And I'm really excited about that. That would be awesome. Just sit, you know, six feet apart. All right, we're starting to get some questions from Facebook. Uh, so the first comes from Simone Onselet, who says, Justin, how come you don't have a Burbridge accent? I feel like no matter how hard I try, I'll always sound like I'm from the BB. <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. I like lost it all. I lost it the minute I hit Arizona, driving into California. <laughs> I have no clue. But I also, I don't know. It's weird. I think I watched people on TV and I used to try to mimic them because I always thought I would be a host or a producer, but I mean, a host or um, a commentator, but I don't know. I never really had one. It's weird too. And I grew up around Simone Ocelot. I should have a, a Brobridge accent and I'm mad that I don't have it. I wish I had it. What about when you're really tired or you've had a few beverages? Does it start to slip out? The only way it slips out is if someone from there comes here. So my friends always say, wow, I hear it. It's faint, but they hear it whenever people visit me from, from Louisiana, which no one visits me anymore. But when I was younger, people used to come and visit me here all the time. And they, people would say, I can hear it now. Simone and I will make a road trip out to see you just so we can bring the accent out. God. We'll bring you some food from home. I would love um, it. So T. Castile says, Sylvester, you're great. Little message from T. Castile. Oh, so talk to me about the journey out there. Um, you're going to school here. You're working at Tsunami. You're living in Leah Seymour's guest house. You're her lady sitter. How do you go from that to the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills? What's that transition like? It was weird. It was like, um, it was kind of sort of like a 10 year. The universe had been working on me for about 10 years at that point. And I say that because I met Ali Landry when I was 14 years old. I was working at a place called Cafe des Amis, and I was actually working with T. Castell's daughter, Kels, at Cafe des Amis. And Ali Landry came in for her bridal shower, and I was in awe of her. I was like, oh, it's Ali Landry. And I waited on her table. She and I struck up a conversation. She was like, oh my God, you should move to LA. And I was like, you know, I'm 14 years old. Like, I don't know anything about anything. And I'm still in junior high. Like, I don't even have a high school degree. And fast forward, I met her again at 17 when I started working at Tsunami. And same thing. Oh, my God, I remember you from, from Cafe des Amis. You should move to L.A. And I'm like, oh, I'm still in high school. And I started my first year of, of, of college. And it was 2005. Katrina hit. And it was like kind of like a weird awakening in the sense that like I was like, oh, tomorrow's not promise. Tomorrow's not promise. You got to get out of here at some point and and see the world. Because at that point, I had already talked. Michelle had hooked me up with a meeting with you. I don't even know if you remember this, 
but Michelle had hooked me up with a meeting with you and I came to talk to you about advertising because that's what I was gonna major in. And I ended up going into advertising, mass comm at LSU because we had a full on conversation. I'll never forget this. At your, I remember I that. the office right off of Vermillion. Yes. Or in that yeah, we're still there. Nookie pop thing. So I ended up getting into advertising. I, once the hurricane hit, I got the weird idea to do the National Student Exchange. And I thought, mm, everybody's going to Italy, everybody's going to this place, I'm gonna to go to LA. I'm gonna to try to see if I can go to LA. And they asked you for three of your top choices for schools, and I put only two, and I only put Los Angeles. And he just was like, yo, it's gonna be hard, it's gonna be a hard road in, everybody wants LA, like, there's no way. And the person ended up taking me. So I ended up going to Cal State LA, calling Allie Landry, being like, yo, I'm here, let's hang out. Um, and I ended up getting a job working at Ed Hardy at the time, at the corporate office. I worked in the marketing department um, as an intern and then stayed there for a year and a half, stayed in LA for a year, worked there and came home and did my final year of school because that's the game, that's the plan. Like that's part of the program is you have to come back home and finish the last year of school. I was home, I was getting comfortable. I was like, maybe I can do this. Maybe I can do law school. Maybe I can live in New Orleans and figure all this out. And Allie Landry calls me one day and she was like, hey, are you coming back here anytime soon? I was like, well, I'm graduating in January and I don't know what I'm gonna do. I'm trying to figure it out. And she was like, well, I have a girlfriend who needs an assistant. She's starting a show in February. Um, and I think you guys would be great, but I think you should just get out here. Like, I think you should just get here. So I said, okay, um, like, when do you think? She goes, well, when is graduation? And I said, oh, graduation is in two weeks. She was like, well, how about 15 days from now? And I was like, I don't know. She was like, just come, it'll be fine. You can stay at my house. Like, we'll work it out. Just come, just come, just come. So I was like, cool. And once Allie Landry gets on something, Allie Landry doesn't get off. Like, if she thinks in her mind that you need to be somewhere or you need to do something or you need to meet someone, like if you she needs you to meet Tony Robbins, you're gonna meet Tony Robbins tomorrow. And, you know, I packed up my car and I went. I went to Stacy St. Marie. I got my braces off three months early and packed my car up and I left and I was thinking to myself halfway through, like, I don't even have any money. I'd saved up a little bit of money, but I don't have a job. Like, I don't have anywhere to go, so. She was like, just come straight to my house. Went to her home. She was like, I'm gonna work it out. Just chill here for a while. And I ended up getting a job interview with InStyle Magazine. I went on two interviews with InStyle Magazine. I was super pumped about it. And I had another interview with a huge Hollywood actress. Huge, crazy, huge. And then she was like, oh, my girlfriend's back in town. You should finally meet her. This is like three weeks later. I was like, well, I think I'm gonna love either working for this crazy, batshit crazy bitch in Beverly Hills or InStyle Magazine. It's not offering me much money, but it's a great, you know, to have under your belt. Um, so I'm gonna just maybe go with them. And she was like, no, 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 meet this girl. We're having lunch tomorrow, let's do it. Um, so we get in the car, we go to meet this woman. She didn't tell me who the woman, she told me the woman's name was Kyle, but she never told me what she was doing. She never told me what, show she was filming. She didn't tell me anything. So we go to this lunch and like, I swear to you, there was like children coming out of the, like, there was children coming out of like her handbag. There were so many children because she had four girls, but she had no help. So like she brought them all to lunch and we were sitting there, they were talking. I was playing with Portia and you know, she just kept on talking about the show that she was gonna do and that she needed somebody for 90 days while she filmed the show. And it was like this very like whatever thing. And I, I was kind of like, mm, I don't know, 90 days doesn't sound like a really good opportunity. I should probably wait for something more stable or steady or take that job in InStyle. And Allie got in the car and she was like, you're gonna do this for 90 days? you're gonna get in there and you're gonna make her um, not wanna get rid of you. So you're taking this job. And I was like, okay. So I showed up to her house the next Monday. Keep in mind, she's never had an assistant. I show up at her house next, the next Monday. 
I saw a van outside that said Evolution Media. And when I walked in on my first day of work, before I walked through the door, they were like, hey, do you mind signing this release just in case you get caught in the background of the show? And I'm like, oh, what's it for? And they were like, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. At that point, no one knew that they had greenlit Beverly Hills yet. So my first day of work at Kyle's was her first day of shooting. Isn't that crazy? Wow, that is crazy. Isn't that nuts? I yes. would be working at DiMaggio Wright Roy and Sylvester right now, if it wasn't for Allie Landry. Thank God for Allie. Plus Thank it would be Sylvester, Lord. DiMaggio Wright and Roy. I mean, let's just be clear. You'd be ahead of everybody else by now. Come on. <laughs> oh, I was going to do it. I was going to be on that billboard on the corner of a million Jefferson. I swear it, it was going to happen. <laughs> I would be like, one of these things is not like the others. Right? So oh my God. How, how do you transition from Real Housewives of Beverly Hills to, is Beverly Hills Nannies next? Is that the next show you did? Beverly Hills Nannies was next. Okay. I worked on Real Housewives for four seasons at this point. I was always behind the camera. I had never intended on being on TV. Like I didn't want to be on camera. It wasn't my thing. I also didn't want her to think that I was there to be on TV because a lot of the a lot of the, the side gays I call them in the shows show up and they want to be on. Like they want to be on camera. They want to be on TV. I always stood in the back because I always thought I wanted to go into management and I wanted to learn how to manage a reality TV person through her because I understood the schedules and the story and like how everything unfolded. And, you know, I was starting to understand the inner workings of reality television. And I was paying extra close attention to just how much it took to really put on a reality show. Um, and I thought I was going to move into management, I swear. And she called me one day because when I would, the way the lady sitting work was, it was like a co-op. When Kyle was in season, I would work with her four days a week. And then I would take two other days and I would pick up another client on the side. And then when Kyle was out of season, I would switch the four and the two. So my other client would get it four days a week and Kyle would then get it two. And they were friends. And then once I added a third client, I added an assistant and we would just go to each house and figure it out. And, you know, just kind of ping pong and I would direct and everything. And I was working for this family and I was doing a lot of childcare because the dad was always out of town and the mom was really busy. So I ended up just picking up like side nanny gigs. And, you know, I used to nanny for Michelle Ezel when they would go out of town or when they needed anything. So Kyle hits me up and she goes, hey, Alex, hit me up about this show idea. Alex was her executive producer. You know, they want to do this thing, but they don't, they want you to do it. Would you want to be, would you be interested? I was like, not really. Like, I don't really see myself on camera. She was like, why don't you just go and just go and see what happens. So I went, I did the test shoot. I went to the all cast shoot. They had already had, all the cast was already put together. So they had shot a sizzle already. They had pitched it. They picked it up, but they were looking for other people to join the cast because they weren't sure in the cast members. So I went to the first party and they had already had another gay guy already in the mix. And at that time, there was one gay and there was one gay only. Yeah, we have a limit. You have a limit. You needed one gay and you were fine. And I think I showed up and I was black and gay and it was like, <gasps> like, oh snap. Like you have to like too much, too much. This guy has two check marks under his name and the guy ended up coming for me. I knew him, which was crazy, but the guy ended up coming for me and we ended up like kind of getting into it randomly at this party. And I was like, whoa, hold on, sir. So, he tried to like scare me away, but it ended up getting me on the show. And I thought, you know what? I'll just do it and we'll see what happens. Like what's one season of a reality show? Like, let's just see if it works for me. Um, and I did it and it was fun and it was great. And it was before it's time and the ratings are really good. 
But when season two came around, I was like, this is not my brand. This is not what I want to do. This is not where I want to be. And I'm just not going to stick with something because it's cute to be on a TV show or to have a billboard or a poster at Century City. Like, it just wasn't my jam. So I didn't go back for season two. Okay. So then how do you jump from that to E and Daily Pop? Or did I miss something in the middle? No. So I went to, I knew these people. I knew this girl named Dorothy Wayne. Dorothy Wayne was like this rich um, girl from China who lived here. She was bomb. She was bougie. She was really big on Instagram. And she was funny and, and she's fun and she doesn't miss a thing. She's so smart. She doesn't miss a damn thing. And I went in for a cat. A friend of mine was like, hey, come in for this casting. It's like for the people in LA, but I think you would be really great. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, I don't want to do this again. And I went in for the casting because I liked the guy. His name was Aron, Duran Ophir. And Duran, when I got in, was like, yeah, we're trying to do this show about these people who are friends in LA. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, let me introduce you to Dorothy Wayne. And he was like, oh, she's too young. She's too young. I'm like, trust me, Duran, you will love her. She's really big. She's rich and she's on Instagram and she has fabulous friends. This could be a whole nother show. Like you can cast this one with the older people, but let me bring you in with Dorothy Wayne. They were like, oh no, no, we don't want to see her. So I said, Duran, I did a favor. I came in here. Now you just meet with, with Dorothy Wayne. Two weeks later, they meet with Dorothy Wang. He sends his assistant to meet with Dorothy Wang. Dorothy Wang ends up killing it like I knew she would. She calls me, she goes, who do I bring in? And I was like, who do you think? So she says, oh, I'm gonna bring in Morgan Stewart. And I was like, why don't you bring in Johnny Drubel because you need a gay. And why don't you bring, she goes, and Morgan has a friend named Roxy. So they all went in and then six months later, Rich Kids of Beverly Hills was on air and they had come to me, Duran was like, hey, I wanna make this up to you. Would you like to be a part of the show? Would you like to be a producer on the show? And I was like, yeah, but you know what? I don't really wanna work with my friends. I don't think it's healthy. I don't think it's fun. I don't, the lines will get blurred and you guys will, no. So I went, I let one season go by. They came back with a better offer season two. I went in for season two as a producer. I produced season two, three, and four. And I was a talent producer on those four. And then when EJ NYC got picked up as a spinoff, I asked for a producer's credit and they gave it to me. And it was the only way I was gonna move to New York is if they gave me a producer's credit and they gave it to me. So I moved to New York and I produced EJ NYC at the age of 29. That's amazing. It's crazy, I mean, right? come on. Yeah, that's crazy. So Jessica Haravas is watching and she says, I love your story. What do you miss most about Acadiana though? I kind of miss the feeling of home. Like LA feels like home and it feels weird, but it doesn't feel like home home. Like it doesn't feel like I can show up somewhere. Like if I know if I go to La Fonda on Thursday, I'll see that friendly face that I see all the time. If I go to Tsunami on Tuesdays, you'll run into, you know, someone that you know, there's not that, feeling a community here like there is home. And I miss how- I felt the same are. way. <laughs> when I lived out there, that's exactly what I would say. It was, I could go to industry events and run into industry coworkers or clients, but if I just ran to the grocery store, I never saw people I knew at Gelson's. Not, not one person, not one person. How, how long did you live here for? Uh, from 92 through 97. Oh, nice. Oh yeah, that's a good run. Five years is a good run. I'm Plenty. That's crazy. That is crazy. Um, Reagan Wells wants to know, uh, hi, Justin. I'm dying to know who have you had the funniest celebrity encounter with? I think the funniest celebrity encounter so far has all been Tiffany Haddish. I think Tiffany Haddish and I were both fucked up on a Zoom call interview. We both had too much to drink. And a six-minute interview about Bumble turned into a 25-minute interview about sex. 
I swear to you, I don't know what happened. I don't know how it made a left turn. But, you know, when you walk into these interviews, people tell you, oh, you only have seven minutes or we'll give you a two minute, you know, they'll send you like, oh, you get a two minute, you know, warning. Or if you're in person, they will come in front of the camera and be like this, like two. And that bitch stayed on the phone with me for almost 30 minutes. She didn't care. She's going to talk about what she wants to talk about. No. Um, Dana Baker's watching and she says, you never cease to make me smile. Oh, thank you. So see, she's telling you that you're going to have to come back for some festivals next year. That's what I think she's trying to subliminally plant that message. I always come in for Fest um, International and I go incognito. I've been like a few times and I just come with a baseball hat on. I don't walk around with my normal crew. I love it. I come in for like the Sunday and I go home. I'm t I always do it. No one ever sees me. It's always nice. But here's the, now your secret's out. You still won't find me. I'm like Waldo in that thing. Oh, you stand out wherever you go, my friend. Ryan Cormier says, what's up, Justin? Hello. Oh, my God. So many familiar names in here. Miss T, Ryan Cormier, Simone Osselet. It's like old home week for you. It's like old home week for me, which I love. I so love. you're producing EJ and Y, and is that when you get the call for Daily Pop? No. So I'm on – so something crazy happened. So I met this guy through, this is where it gets a little shady. This is where it gets, this is where those stories happen where like you have that enlightening moment and you're like, oh my God. So living in New York, I ended up meeting this guy from Stockholm. He was a baron. He was like part of the royal family, super nice. And he had ended up hooking me up virtually and through text with a friend of his who was single, who was also from Stockholm. And I had never been, at this point, I'd only been to Paris and France, sorry, uh, London and France and Mykonos. I'd been to Greece, but I'd never been anywhere else. And, you know, after EJ and YC, I was like, I'm going to travel a little bit. And this guy was like, why don't you come to Stockholm? And I'm like, I've actually never met you. This is weird to go on a first date in another country, but I'm down. Like I'm, I'm, I, I will do it. But can we choose somewhere where we're on neutral ground so you don't feel like you have to babysit me? And it was like great, Barcelona. Like you know, let's do it, Barcelona. Let's go. So I wrapped EJNYC at the end of like getting into October in New York. So it was almost about to hit. Sorry, this is in August. This is in August. I wrapped EJMYC in August. I go to Barcelona to meet up with this dude. We ended up having the best time. We ended up going out. We ended up realizing that we were not lovers, that we were just friends. But something, someone slipped something in my drink in Barcelona. And I wasn't mad about what they slipped into my drink. I just wish I would have known that they were going to slip into this drink because I ended up going on this. I think I picked up the wrong cup, to be completely honest, at this house party. And I ended up going on this transcendental moment that was like, what are you doing with your life? You should be dancing in Barcelona and showing what you're made of on TV and... Going, I went through this whole period, this like three year journey in my mind on a dance floor in the middle of Barcelona. And it was weird. It was like the weirdest experience in my life. I don't know what, I don't know what happened to me. I don't know if anyone has a clue of what that was in that cup, please mail it to me. I will pay for the FedEx shipping. But it was like this weird, it was on my second to last night in Barcelona. I will never forget it. And it was like this like, strange thing where I was like, you've never fully admitted to yourself what you really wanted to do in life because you never thought that it was a possibility. Like you never thought that it was capable. And thank you, Molly, <laughs> for opening up my third eye that night. Because when I got on the plane the next day, 
I went back to LA and on my plane ride home, I wrote this thing, like I was trying to figure out money wise and logistically how much time and how much energy and how much power would I have to put in to really figuring out this on camera TV hosting thing. And I was Googling and reading up and, you know, you know, this woman named Marky Costello does all these classes and it takes years of practice and yada, yada, yada. And I was defeated when I landed at LAX because whatever they put in my cup was wearing off. Serotonin was not the bomb anymore. And I had made this like list and this promise to myself that before I turned 30, that I was going to pursue this dream of mine. And when I turned 30, I was gonna have to give it up and get something more stable because I'm a Scorpio. So I like stability. I've, I worked at Cafe des Amis for two years, left Cafe des Amis after two years and rolled right into Tsunami. Went Left Tsunami Baton Rouge, came back to Tsunami Lafayette and left Tsunami and went straight to Ali Landry's house. So I'd never not had a job. The longest I had never had a job was that month that I was in LA. And that's since I was 14 years old. So I never knew what it was like to not have even if it was a small paycheck, just knowing something was coming up. That's why I would never be an actor. So I put the thing on my refrigerator. It was August. I had August, September, October. I had three months to really figure it out, which is not a lot of time. Again, I was out of my mind when I made this promise to myself, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. November 8th is my 30th birthday. What can I lose? I got in touch with somebody who knew somebody, who knew someone at E, and just so happened, they were bringing Morgan Stewart in for something, and they wanted me to test with her for this digital thing. So I went in in September, I tested for this digital thing. It was, oh, it was good, she ended up getting a show out of it, it was great. They figured out her show, I was just there to help her ping pong it which was fine. I just wanted to get myself in front of them. Then the Emmys came about at the end of September and I did this other thing that was kind of thrown together, but it ended up being good enough to where I could show who I was and like figure it all out. And it was fine, it was bomb. And then October came, silent, 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 nothing, nothing, nothing. I started looking for another job. I was like, what am I gonna do? Freaking out, I, you know. Went to Canyon, I got a reading from Canyon Ranch from um, my friend Gwen Graves, got me a reading from this lady at Canyon Ranch. Her name is Catherine Basket. Her, she's bluelightsomething.org, she's amazing. Um, and she was like, something's happening for you in November. There's gonna be a door that's gonna creak open in November. And then, the, then it's gonna bust wide open in April. And then in May, your dreams are gonna come true. So I was like, okay. And I didn't know anything about astrology at this point. And I got a weird phone call the day before Halloween that was like, um, so we're gonna do this screen test for this TV show. It's called Daily Pop. Um, it's gonna be a quick turnaround. Whoever gets it um, is going to have to come here the following week. We're gonna run through the show for a week and then the show's gonna go live the following week. Um, we can't promise you anybody anything. Um, so just know that like, you know, we're just, it, it's gonna move fast. So I'm in this room and I'm looking around. It's the day of Halloween. I'm looking around and it's all the E! News people. All the E! News people who have been on air for years, Kat Sadler, Jason Kennedy, everybody who I was like, oh my God, Maria Menounos, like all of these people. There's a few other people that I know, comedians that I've seen on like, you know, specials and people from Chelsea Handler, people from Fashion Police. There's about 25 people in this jam. And I know at this point there's only four spots. Um, and I thought to myself, this is probably not gonna work out for me because all these people have so much experience. They're all already in the system. Like they have agents, they have rates, they have quotes. They're probably like, you know, they're just all in there. Like there's no way. And the craziest thing happened. They 
what they do in these chemistry tests is they put three people together and then they switch them up and put three other people together. And then they call you back in and they put you with three other people. So what was happening was they were putting three people together and they, people were getting multiple chances to go in. And then once time went by, it started dwindling and dwindling and dwindling and dwindling. And I was the last person to go. You don't wanna be the last person to go. That means everybody's tired. That means everybody has seen everybody. That means that they probably have made up their mind already and you're there because they told you you can come and now they're just gonna try you real quick. It's a courtesy. A courtesy. And it was a nice courtesy. I had never done anything else before that except their one Emmy special that was really nice and it was great. It was digital, it was perfect. So it was a courtesy. I think I went in there and the lights were being turned off. And they were like, cut them right back on. We have one more to go. We have one more to go. So in my mind, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, these people gave them facts. They gave them the cadence and their voice. They gave them all of it. Just give them you. Just walk in there and give them you. Act like you're gossiping at a table at Dwyer's at 9 a.m. on a Sunday morning after going out all day on Saturday. And it was honestly like this weird thing because I know that these people have tons of more experience than me. I know that they had been trained. I know that they know the e-voice. Like it was just, I knew it all. Like I knew it. And I went in there and I was like, fuck it. We talked about Mariah Carey, about her ring. And, you know, I remember the topics. And then, you know, I remember them being like, hold on, let us get one more person in here. They switched out somebody, kept me in. And the last people to go were Kat, myself, and Carissa. They brought Carissa back because Kat and I were already there. And that's how they found the three people on the show. That's amazing. And the craziest part of the whole situation was that was Halloween, which meant that the show would start practicing on November 1st, which then meant seven days later, my 30th birthday, we went live. Happy birthday to you. And my goal was, you have to do this before you turn 30. And if you don't, if you turn 30 and you don't have this job or have figured out a way into the thing, into this industry, you have to get a full-time job, nine to five. You need health insurance. So happy birthday to me. This is a way better solution than a nine to five with health insurance. Um, Reagan Wells wants to know who is your favorite member of Destiny's Child? Oh my God, Kelly Rowland. <laughs> Kelly Rowland is the bomb. Kelly Rowland is everything. She is Absolutely. Everything. Absolutely. No, All right, so we have just a couple more minutes. So this is what I want to know. Ultimately, as you look back on the career you've had so far, what world is still out there that you want to conquer? What do you want to do next? Is it going back to producing? Is it continuing on camera? Is it moving to movies? Do you want to direct? Look, I can't be on camera my whole life. Like, I'm not going to have the luck of Don Lemon. I'm not going to look like Don Lemon for the rest of my life. Like, it's not going to happen. You know, I think for myself, like, I just want to, I'm not comfortable. Like, I'm not comfortable where I am. I don't, I don't, like, I love it and it's great. I still get nervous every time they say action and we're live and you hear three, two, one. It's always a nerve wracking thing. Um, I just don't see myself doing just this. Like, there's another moment for me. Like, I want to host a big stage show. I want to own part of a big stage show. I want to create a game show. I want to produce, you know, my, still produce my scripted television show. Like I want to do all of those things and still have this. Um, I just want to be so busy. I want to be like, you know, like Wayne Brady busy. Like you just can't keep track of what Wayne Brady's doing because he's so busy. I'm just not stressed yet. That's my problem. I'm not stressed out You're enough. You're not busy enough. No, I'm not busy enough. I'm not busy enough. And that's the problem. Like, I just want to be busier and I want to learn and figure out other parts of this industry that I haven't touched on yet. You know, I'm taking out a scripted show next month with Warner Brothers. And that's exciting. That's been four and a half years in the making. Um, 
And I'm really passionate about that. And I don't want to be anywhere near the front of that camera. I just want to be in the back of the camera and I want to learn every single step of that process because I just want to create. Honestly, I just want to create. And every day I get to create an hour worth of a show and based it on a personality that I've always had and I've always created. And, you know, the lady sitter is kind of sort of like my little project. Right. No, that makes perfect sense. Um, yeah. Amy Shalala is watching and she says, Justin, I miss you, my friend. Oh, Amy Shalala, I love you. Uh, Amy Shalala. I imagine y'all spent some time with Amy, La with Amy, La Allie Landry together, you and Amy. Oh my God, yes. And Meredith Moody and Amy Shalala and I were like the three amigos in Lafayette. Honey, we used to hit that Bafonda bar running, okay? <laughs> running. It's just crazy. I it's can imagine. It's like everything's so crazy. Right. Um, all right, so we're getting ready. We're getting ready to wrap up, but before we go, what one question do you wish I had asked you, and what would the answer have been? Mm. Pressure. Oh, you know what? I wish you would have asked me how easy it is to get out here, because I honestly think that. Pe pe more people from Louisiana should migrate here. I think it should be kind of sort of a policy that after you do your f last year of college that you have to move to a big city and get out because I don't think people realize how easy it is for, when you say you're from Louisiana, anywhere in Los Angeles or in New York, you automatically get in the door because people think we're aliens randomly. I don't know what it is. I think it might be Katrina, I don't, New Orleans, maybe, I don't know, LSU, but somebody always is very curious about Louisiana, and anytime they're like, were you in the hurricane? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, like, they just want to know. Like, it's like a, a curiosity, and I wish that people would, and I tell this to all my friends. I'm like, move here, come suck this up, work somewhere that you know, you've never seen before in Lafayette or in New Orleans, take everything you learn from that industry and bring it back and open it and just throw 90210 on it. And people will be here for it. You know, I think, you know, Gina Landry and Vince Papera did that so well with Body Factory, you know, taking that concept from here and bringing it there and look how big and booming it is. I think more people should really come and use that Louisiana advantage. I think Honestly, that Southern accent, Simone Ocelet will get you very far here. So do it, like get your asses out here. I'm telling you, it's all gonna pay off. And it sucks for like, I always tell people the first two years are the hardest. The first two years are like the worst. But once you get past two years, you're good. Take all those secrets. I don't know why people don't do that more often. I swear to God, I don't know why people don't just come here and steal everything and bring it back home. I agree completely. And everybody that I know that's gone out there has had a very successful run and it's a good experience. Being from Louisiana gives you this VIP entry card to just about anything because we're different and we're friendly. And, yeah, yeah. And people look at you, especially in New York, like if you tell a stranger hi, if I tell a stranger hello at home, they're going to say hello back. If I tell a stranger hello in New York, they look at me like I'm nuts. And it took me a very long time to stop telling everyone hello because I would walk through the grocery store and say hello, hello to everyone. Um, but it's like, I always would get so frustrated because I went to Turlings with a lot of people who had a lot of dough and they just never, they were so afraid to like get away from that nest. And I was like, yo, if you took $10,000 and told your parents that you're going to move to Los Angeles for six months, eight months, a year, took your graduation money, came here sat here for six months and just went to the beach or did this or met this or interned here. I promise you that six months would turn into a year and that year would turn into two years and that two years turned into three years. And when you go back home, you just have this different story. Like my plan was to come here for two years, I swear. I, my goal was I just wanted to make it for two years. And then I was gonna move to New York for two years. And then I was probably gonna come back home. Home is always gonna be there. And I, feel like, and I'm sorry, and I'm going to throw this out there, and I know a lot of people are going to be mad at me. Everyone's comfortable. We know everybody. We have our safe spots. We know that we have our 
buddies that will come with us to happy hour. We know the servers at all the restaurants. We know exactly where to get our boudin balls. Like we're just comfortable. Get out of that comfort zone, especially if you have the means and especially if you want the experience. Like going to a job interview and saying that I interned in LA for a year was mind blowing for people when I came back home. You know, even if you interned at a sausage factory, you could probably get a job anywhere because they just are, people are intrigued by it all. And I'm telling you, there's like people from Harvard and Yale and Princeton and, da, 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 and they're all vying for the same jobs. But the minute you walk in there and you say LSU and they're like, wow, you must have had a real good college time. And you're like, actually, I don't remember half of it. And they're like, tired. <laughs> and it's it's all you really need. And I, I wish people, you know, really understood how much of a leg up they have walking into a big city being from Louisiana. And I could not agree more. And it was to me, I went to Rhode Island for a summer in college. Michael went to Montana for a summer in college. He moved to Seattle. I moved to LA. Those experiences form you. And that same VIP card that gets you in the door in a big city gets you in the door when you get back home because you've got a story to tell. Form. I'm going to tell I'm gonna tell some testimonials from people who would hate to know that I said this. There's a girl named Erin Randall that is from Lafayette. She used to teach cheer at Cheer Academy. And she was just one of those people who was afraid to leave and she was scared and she always lived on the same road right behind, off of Johnson, right behind, you know, Fatima. And she had a great life. And you know, our, her rent was 250 bucks a month and, you know, all in, all, you know, included. I live in a shack and I pay two Gs. It's crazy here. And she had that fear of like, I'm so afraid, I'm so afraid. And I'm like, yo, just come here. If, you, if it fails, you had a six month vacation, like, come on, it's California. You know, just get here, just get here. And, you know, six months, every six months, it'd be the same thing. I was finally like, yo, I'm not doing this with you anymore. Call me when you're in your way. She's been here now for almost seven years. She's running a huge literary agency. She's like the person who you get to in order to negotiate, you know, contracts for Yeezy. She's negotiating contracts, you know, for top commercials, for lighting people, for directors, for, you know, film people. And it's unreal. Ashley Antoine went to Turlins Catholic High School, did hair at Soho in River Ranch, is now one of the head makeup artists for Forever 21 and for Windsor, and is doing is in Maine Addicts with Jen Atkin, and they do hair for Chrissy Teigen and Kourtney Kardashian, and they give tutorials on new products. Like She's only been here for three years and established herself in a situation that is so hard. <laughs> But both of those people walked in and said, I'm from Louisiana. And people were like, oh, you're not just a random girl from LA want to do makeup. No, this is what I do. This is how I do it. And, you know, those experiences and having that license, like even when I go to a club, pulling out my license and showing them my Louisiana license, they're like, hey, I remember you for, for life. You're from Louisiana. Just, you know, just don't, it's not as hard as people make it seem. When people come back no, and say it's, it's not. hard, they didn't try. No. And it's the friendliness, I think, is what helped build the network. And the network is what helps ensure your success. And you're different. And when you can stand out, that's all about building a brand. And when 100%. your brand is a part of Louisiana, psh, you're golden. Now, just imagine going back home and standing out. You know, even if you hated it. I built life. my career on it. <laughs> you built your career on it. I'm sure the minute people heard Russo Group from Los Angeles, they were like, oh my God, of course, Jackie Russo's in it. Like, you know, like, oh, she's in it. You know, it gives you, you're right, Michael, it gives you a story. And honestly, like, even if you hated it, even if you stayed in your house 365 days that you were here, it does not matter. No one has to know. No one cares. Caroline Harris, another great example, came here for a year and a half, started um, a dance company, right there on, I can't think of what it's called, unbelievable concept. Just There's just so many great moments that you could achieve. And I wish that more people push their kids 
to come to Los Angeles or go to New York or hit that Chicago or go just anywhere. Just come back with that story. That's all. Just come back with that story. Wise words from Justin Sylvester. Justin, thank you for your time. I know you pushed back an important work call with Warner Brothers uh, just for this. So we thank you for your wisdom and your knowledge and your experience and to everyone who had a chance to watch. Uh, thank you for being with us. I think this was a, a great episode. I love talking about building brands and what Justin's done has just been amazing. And it's so much thank fun to watch you. you grow. Thank you. Thank you. I no, appreciate it. And um, I can't wait to do this again when I get my other show. You have it in the books. It will happen for sure. Thank you, everyone. We appreciate your time and we'll see you next week. Well, the day is through.